Welcome to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast that attempts to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. I'm just back from a four-month hiatus on podcasting. I was taking a gestation period of sorts, learning and receiving teachings from others. And I'm finally feeling inspired and reinvigorated to start sharing the Dharma, the spiritual teachings, with everyone again. Before we dive into the content of the show, I just want to mention that I'm offering ongoing live stream yoga classes via Zoom and on-demand yoga classes. You can access these classes via my website, walkingdharma.com, spelled just the same way that this podcast is. That's www.walkingdharma.com. There, you will find all the information you need to sign up for class or receive an on-demand yoga class. Dropping into the show now. Today's episode is called, Do It Anyway, Overcoming Imposter Syndrome. And this has been a show I've been contemplating for a while now. And imposter syndrome is something that many of us experience on an intermittent and or ongoing basis. And I decided what better way to kick off this new set of podcasts than with covering this very strong and prominent topic in our modern world. So imposter syndrome can be defined many ways but I've kind of created my own definition for it. It goes like this. Imposter, imposter syndrome comes from trying to mold yourself to fit someone else's vision, ideals, or definitions of what you should do, act, look like, or create. And imposter syndrome is something that rears its ugly head anytime we try to step slightly outside of our comfort zone. And this can come in the form of doing something that you've never done before and trying to own it. This can come in the form of being vulnerable in front of others and sharing your craft, sharing your gifts. Or this can come in the form of taking the role as a teacher or an artist or a performer or a creator and feeling that sense of self-doubt and nagging lack of self-worth arise. And before we step into all the ways that imposter syndrome can show up and how to overcome them, I want to read a little bit from the Bhagavad Gita. This is from chapter two, The Way of Ultimate Reality. It's, it's Sloka 247. To work alone, you are entitled never to its fruit. Neither let your motive be the fruit of action, nor let your attachment be to non-action. And I love this sloka because it goes right to the heart of imposter syndrome and how we overcome it. So when it says, to work alone, you are entitled, never to its fruit. It basically means that as long as you're in a body, as long as you're out in the world, 
or even isolated in your own hermitage, there's always some form of work to be done. That is our birthright. As long as you're embodied, there's some form of work that we will need to do. That is our entitlement as being on this earth plane. But we are not entitled to the fruit of our work, meaning we're not necessarily guaranteed a certain result based on our actions. As much as we could wish that if there's a formula for everything we do, for example, if I spend this many hours studying philosophy, then people will acknowledge that I'm a great teacher. That's not necessarily the case. You could spend your entire life studying philosophy and not necessarily ever be acknowledged by anyone except your own satisfaction that you have educated yourself as deeply as possible. Right? The sutra goes on to say, Neither let your motive be the fruit of action, nor let your attachment be to non-action. So, translation, this means... Do your work without expectation of a result. Do your work because you feel it in your heart, because you feel called to share this creation, this expression with the world. Whether you get recognition or a favorable result, such as financial abundance or more opportunities or that sense of success, You can't base your work on that. You can't base your motivation on that result because that will surely lead to attachment and then disappointment if you don't get the results you want. When it says, nor let your attachment be to non-action, it's an invitation not to fall into apathy for fear of what might happen if you put yourself out there. And I believe this is really common. I think so many of us dilute ourselves or hold back or wither away for fear of others' opinions, for fear of not being good enough, and for fear of the unknown. So when this sloka says, to work alone you are entitled never to its fruit, it's saying, do your work for the sake of doing it. Do your work for the sake of letting that expression come through rather than holding it back and stifling it until it withers away and dies. It's an invitation to not cling to a certain result because that clinging to a certain result may lead us into disillusionment if we don't get the result we desired. Rather, it's an invitation to remain equanimous whether we are met with success or failure. And in particular, not fear the result and therefore not act at all because of our fear, taking over our awareness, taking over our ability to act. The following sloka says, being established in yoga, perform your actions, casting off attachment and remaining even-minded both in success and in failure. This evenness is called yoga. So I love this sloka because it defines yoga on some level. It says this evenness is called yoga, meaning yoga, union, or understanding the unified field of existence we all coexist in, constitutes remaining even-minded, remaining 
centered within your deepest self, whether you are met with extreme success, glory, recognition, fame, if you will, or whether you are met with failure, disappointment, expectations not met, a sense of not giving it all you had. Either way, the invitation is to remain even-minded, to remain equanimous, and may I add, to continue forward with what you feel called to do in your heart, not for sake of receiving in any one particular result, but for the sake of doing it because it brings you joy, for the sake of expressing it because there is no other option, for the sake of creating because you're alive and this is your birthright. Your work is your birthright. And the moment we can acknowledge that is the moment we begin to overcome imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome shows up in many ways, but you could basically sum it up as a self-limiting belief system. It's when we feel inadequate, when we feel not as good as our peers, and therefore we want to hold back or we feel a lot of trepidation or anxiety when it comes to sharing our gifts with the world. So anytime these feelings of, you're not good enough, oh, you're not ready, you can't do that, and then there's all these excuses that come through, the main thing to do is ask yourself, who are you living for? Are you living for other people's opinions? and desirous or even greedy of other people's approval so you don't feel that sense of not worthiness come through? Or are you living for yourself? Are you living to live a full life, full of potential, full of adventure and stepping into the unknown with a sense of trust? And I don't know about you, but if given the choice, I will always choose the latter. I'll always choose to live life fully in the way that I feel the most inclined, the way my heart desires. But so often I find myself stuck in that first place, that place of wanting approval, that place of not wanting to fail because the sting of failure is hard to digest. And I'm sure many of you can relate. So what do we do when this sense of Fear, lack of self-worth, and self-doubt results in imposter syndrome. Well, there's a few things. The first thing is to call the self-doubt out. Anytime you feel that lingering kind of inner critic show up and ask you, well, you can't do it. You're not ready. It won't be good enough. You know the story already. It could go on and on. Anytime you feel that arise, take a moment and bring your awareness to it and literally say to yourself, self-doubt, oh, imposter syndrome is arising again. And take a moment and really acknowledge that that is showing up. And from that space of acknowledgement, call it out again and again, and then re-divert your focus. So rather than focusing on or worrying about all the bad things that might happen if you put yourself out there, flip it around. And remember, your work is your entitlement in this life. 
Your self-expression is your entitlement in this life. In knowing that, no matter how much fear there may be, no matter how much lingering self-doubt may be appearing, you do your work anyway. And you don't just do it, but you do it wholeheartedly, knowing that this is your life. You can either wait around waiting to feel that perfect time where you're totally ready, or you can understand that the perfect time is the moment you feel the urge to do it. That's actually the perfect time. Not 10 years later, not even 10 days later, but rather in that moment, the moment you feel the urge, it's really important that you take action. Even if you don't feel ready, just put one foot in front of the other and start to move towards what your goal may be. And every time self-doubt arises, just call it out. I like to use the analogy of hiking up a big hill. I actually do that quite often. There's some mountains behind my house, or really foothills, that we go and hike around in. And there's a really steep hill at the top of this foothill. And it's so intense. If I look way up the hill as I'm hiking up it, I feel like I'll never make it to the top. But if I focus on what's right in front of me and put one foot in front of the other, even if I have my doubts about making it to the top, I trust my ability, I go through the intensity of it, and eventually I'm at the top of the hill enjoying the view. And this is much how our approach needs to be with offering our gifts and our creative energy out into the world. The more that we hold back, the more we look at the top of the hill and think, I'll never make it, I should give up now, the more time we waste. But the more we're willing to just take baby steps, even if you have to crawl, even if you make the slowest progress of anyone you know in your field, the art of doing it can feel incredibly fulfilling. Because again, you sharing your gifts with the world, you sharing what you feel called to share, is not so much about other people. It's more about you and whether you feel like you are fulfilling your purpose on this earth or not. And if given the choice, if you could be authentic and bold, wouldn't you take it? Isn't that a better outcome than being complacent and old and living with regrets because you were too afraid to put one foot in front of the other? So overcoming imposter syndrome is literally about doing what you feel called to do regardless of your fear, regardless of your storylines about how you're not ready or you're not good enough. And if you truly feel not ready, it's an opportunity to pause and take a look, almost like a scientist, at whether you really are ready. For example, I mentor many yoga teachers, and they've had hours of training and hours and hours of personal practice and hours of study. And regardless of that, they still sometimes feel like they're not ready to teach because fear of rejection comes in. That fear of, what if they don't like me? Or what if someone leaves my class? What will I do then? How will I feel? Those things come up in almost every mentorship I teach. And, and this is actually that moment where we have to say, you know what, no matter how much 
anxiety I feel, I just have to teach my first class. And whether people receive it well or they don't like it very much, at least I know that I am in alignment with what I feel called to do. I'm in alignment with my authenticity, which has guided me to this moment in time. And so overcoming imposter syndrome is about working through these self-limiting belief systems that tell us we're not good enough. And going back to not feeling ready, if you pause and start to take a look, and if you really haven't prepared yourself, that's information too. Maybe this isn't a popular opinion, but if you really feel like you're not ready, that's something that you can trust as well. You can say, well, maybe I need to take another year studying and preparing myself so I do feel confident, at least a little more. And that's totally valid. It's not always that imposter syndrome is without its merit or intuition. Occasionally, but not most of the time, imposter syndrome arises because we really haven't prepared ourselves or done the work that we necessarily need to do. And as much as I wish I could say, oh, that's never the case, sometimes it is. I remember years ago when I started teaching yoga at this beautiful resort in the Caribbean. There was a senior teacher who came to my yoga class and she quite enjoyed it. Although I could tell there was something she wanted to share with me afterwards. And so I asked her for some feedback because it felt like she could tell me. And I was feeling really on top of my game, by the way. I was feeling really confident. I always felt like I was made to teach yoga. I always have felt a strong gift for communicating with others. So she shared with me that I needed to make my classes a little bit more varied she said, throughout the week, I taught almost the same sequence in every single class and that I should reference a few books, and she recommended them, to get a little more varied in my work. And at first, I was quite disappointed because I expected she was going to praise me or say how great I was. I was a little deflated. But it spurred me on to study more and to start varying my classes more. And once I did that, I actually had people receive what I was teaching even more wholeheartedly. People received it in a way that was even better than it had been before. Better because they were getting a full range of movement. Better because they were getting some breathing exercises, which I was not comfortable offering before her feedback spurred me on to study more. And so these things are, are both valid. Sometimes imposter syndrome is coming up because we're just not trusting our abilities and we're having that fear of the unknown, fear of others' opinions or approval or disapproval, fear of failure. Or imposter syndrome may arise because it's our intuition letting us know, hey, maybe you need to spend a little more time with this. Maybe you should look into this. How can you refine your craft a little more? Either way, when imposter syndrome arises, it's important to take a look at its root. Once you identify the root, you can decide how to act. But here's the kicker. You could prepare yourself for years and years and years and still have that same sense of imposter syndrome. So at some point, 
almost with a sense of reckless abandon if you need to. You've just got to go for it. You've just got to trust yourself and trust your abilities and let that energy you feel wanting to be expressed to let it move through you as if you are the conduit and the energy coming from inspiration coming from source is like water and it must flow and you holding back or you stopping yourself for fear of the unknown is like putting a dam in a river and it will dry out eventually that dam will eventually rob your creative force from you Truly, if you do not utilize your creative force and your sense of self-expression, you will eventually be shut down to it. And shutting down to it is something that takes a lot of time to reclaim and to open back up. So rather we face those uncomfortable feelings of fear, trepidation, anxiety, and go through it. You say that this cliche, like go through the eye of the needle. It's not an easy portal to traverse. But once you get in the habit of going slightly outside of your comfort zone, it becomes easier and easier over time. And if you can anchor yourself in this idea that the Gita conveys, that to work alone you are entitled, never to its fruit, then you can understand this is almost like the way of the universe. Whatever you put out there is going to lead to an outcome. Whether it's the outcome you want or not is not for you to determine. Rather, it's for you to learn from, grow from, and continue forward with what you are compelled to offer. Of course, the other option to this is complacency, mediocrity, fitting the mold of what you've been told to do, fitting the standard of what others have set. But a lot of these, quote, standards are coming from a perfectionist mentality. Here's an example. So I teach yoga, as you know. And I will watch students sometimes strive to achieve a pose, and they'll really work for it. And there's merit in working hard for something. There is. But if that hard work is accompanied with a deep layer of attachment, it can lead to a lot of striving. And to me, striving equates to suffering most of the time. Because striving is coming from an insatiable place. It's coming from a place that's saying, I'm not good enough as I am. Therefore, I always need to try to get better. And we call this self-improvement. And self-improvement is a form of perfectionism on some level when taken to extremes. And perfectionism is a result of a lack of self-worth. So it's a vicious cycle. We feel this lack of self-worth, therefore we try to get better. In trying to get better, we start to strive towards some result. When we hit the result, the insatiability is so ingrained that we continue to strive for a further result. And all that striving leads to, eventually, is suffering. Suffering from attachment, suffering from not getting what we want, or suffering because we got what we want, but now we want more. It's like a hungry ghost in Buddhism, where no matter how much you feed it, it no matter how much you feed it, it always craves more. And this is a pitfall to 
evolving in your art, evolving in your craft, is that we can get caught in always trying to get better, so much so that we forget to see how gifted, how talented, and how beautiful we are in this moment right now. It's like trying to achieve a hard yoga pose, right? The more you push for it, and especially the more you rush it, the more likely you are to get injured. The more likely you are to actually set yourself back even more than when you were just doing it for the sake of feeling inclined, for feeling it in your heart. So whenever these feelings of perfectionism or not ready yet arrive, take a look at yourself. Take it from like a third person perspective or a bird's eye view and see yourself in the glory and in the perfection that you are in this moment. Because the truth is, the moment you attain that hard yoga pose, the moment you attain that goal you've been reaching for, and when attaining a goal, we mean the fruit of action, right? That's what we call it, like in yogic terms. Attaining a goal is receiving the fruit of your actions that you wanted. The minute you attain that goal, if you're not in the mindset of appreciating the process of appreciating the uncomfortable moments just as much as the really epic, exhilarating moments, then you'll reach the goal and not even realize you've reached it because you're so busy trying to strive even further, even deeper. And this comes even more so if you fail to reach your goal. The striving will continue to be ingrained. So part of overcoming this sense of not ready yet, or imposter syndrome, is to realize that every moment on this earth that you are present, that you are living your life, expressing yourself how you see fit, doing your work, every single moment is the goal. There's no goal far off in the horizon. Perhaps maybe one day you will get what you've always dreamed of, what you've worked hard for. But if you only look to that, if you only cling to that result, then you will miss the majority of your life for sake of trying to always be better. And when you reflect back, you will realize things were always great. Things were always the way they needed to be. Even if they weren't great, things were the way they needed to be. And how do we know this? Because that is what came to be in that moment. That is what manifested You didn't manifest it, but that is what manifested for your spiritual growth. Maybe that's not agreeable to you, and that's okay too. But regardless, I think we can all agree that the more we hold back, the more more regret we might have when we get older. The more we can let ourselves be free to express, be free to share what we feel compelled to do, the more likely we are to reach our goal, first of all, the more likely we are to fully appreciate the process, the manifestation, and whatever may come from that, which is part of embracing the unknown, is not knowing what may come from the work you are doing today. Sometimes when we don't get met with instant approval, 
we feel that sense of failure come up. An instant approval could be making the amount of money you wanted to make. It could be having other people approve of you. It could be having a big Instagram following. But these are all external results of so-called success. And if we look at success more deeply, I think a lot of us will realize we've been indoctrinated with the idea of success as defined by the Western capitalistic world. So let's discuss what that is. Success in the capitalistic mindset is what? Making a lot of money, gaining popularity, receiving recognition for the work you've done, having all the nicest things, a result of all the money, being able to perhaps vacation wherever you want. But the truth is, there are many people who can attest to this too, that once you've made all the money, once you've traveled everywhere in the world on your bucket list, once you've received all the recognition you could possibly dream of, you still may not be happy. You still may not feel successful. So I think part of clearing out these feelings of not being good enough is clearing out this crazy imposed definition of success. So I want to ask you, how do you define success? Seriously, maybe you could write it down. Maybe you can pause the podcast and journal about it a little while. Open invitation to do so. I've thought about this a lot myself, and here's what I've come up with. This is how I define success. One, health. Vibrant health. Two, harmonious relations with all of my loved ones and all beings I encounter, whether human, animal, plant, or even the stones I walk on as I hike up the trails. Thirdly, abundance. And Financial abundance is a part of that because it does make life a little more comfortable. It opens up the options, but that's not the end-all be-all in what I define as success. Abundance in the variety of fruit I eat because I am taking care of myself. Abundance in the amount of friendships I have because I'm nurturing those relationships and being authentic. Abundance in the amount of rest I take So I am not depleting my vital prana, my vital life force energy. And lastly, establishing healthy routines because that's what keeps me on track and in alignment with my own well-being. So after hearing this, really take it seriously. How do you define success? And this is that fine moment where many of us will realize that we've been holding a a notion of success that is not even part of our value system. And if we can start to adapt our own definition of success rather than society's impositions of what success is, then the more we will feel successful in everything we do, whether it is met with massive approval or no recognition whatsoever. Success is for you to define Consider this, what do we really have to lose by putting ourselves out there? Maybe you can journal about that as well if you feel so inclined. Because for every one person that doesn't approve of you, there are going to be many more who love and receive the work that you are offering 
the teachings, the creative force, the art that you put out into the world. Take, for example, an experience I've had. I've had a lot of teaching gigs in my life. And no matter where I'm at in the world, no matter what studio I'm teaching at, many times I've had someone leave my class and not leave my class because they needed to go somewhere, but leave my class because they really didn't like what I was teaching. And in those moments, as disappointing and disheartening as that can be, I try to remember, okay, one person left, but look at how many people stayed. And not only stayed, but look at how many people came back over and over again in support because it's helping them, because it's up-leveling their experience in their body. And so we have a choice. We can either lean in to that one person that left and feel really bad about ourselves for not living up to every single person's expectations, or we can lean in to all the people who stayed to all the people who showed support. And if we're in a gratitude mindset, that is going to be our natural choice, is to lean in to what is good, to what is in alignment, and to let whatever isn't move on. Because it is absolutely impossible to live up to every single person's expectations of how we should live, act, be, or create. And the more we strive to live up to those expectations, the more we falter. Because in trying to live up to what other people want for us, we fail to live in authenticity. So rather than think, what do these people want from me? Consider this, what can I offer them? What can I offer the world from my heart, from my authenticity? So that I feel in alignment with my path, with my dharma. Now I want to go a little deeper into what happens when we feel when we fear failure. And Pema Chodron really sums it up when she breaks down the three types of laziness. And these three types of laziness come from the Buddhist tradition. And the first one is comfort orientation. And comfort orientation is where we do everything in our power to avoid being uncomfortable. For example, if it feels cold outside, we immediately want to run back into somewhere where we feel warm rather than dealing with those feelings of uncomfortability. If it's too hot in the house, we quickly turn the air conditioning on because we're so used to being comfortable We do everything in our power to remain that way. It's like we try to keep this homeostasis of comfortability because anytime we step into the edge of our comfort zone, anytime we start to step out of it into that feeling of not being fully comfortable, we have to deal with strong emotions such as anxiety, such as fear of rejection, such as not knowing the outcome. But we can see a binding thread. All of these things are governed by fear. And the more that we work with fear, which we could call false evidence appearing real, or F-U-C-K, everything and run. I like the second definition the best. 
F everything and run, right? That's what fear is. Oh, forget it. I don't care about it anymore. I just want to go back to my cocoon of safety. The more we orientate ourselves around always being comfortable, the less likely we are to go for it with our dreams and our goals in this lifetime or the next. So to overcome comfort orientation, the main process is to work on stepping outside of our comfort zone frequently and consistently in the realm of, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Okay, let me sit with that. Let me incorporate that feeling into this experience. And the more you put yourself out there over time, the less uncomfortable that becomes. So you can actually stretch the edges of your comfort zone by doing things that make you uncomfortable. I always think of this yoga audition I did about a year ago for Yoga Tree and Yoga Works. I'm not a very competitive person. Rather, I want to lift everyone up on my shoulders. And it came time for this audition in the city in San Francisco. And there were 15 other teachers in the room with me. And I felt really nervous, unreasonably nervous. Because what I had been assigned to teach, although very comfortable for me, something I've taught many hundreds of times, when I looked at everyone else in the room, I wanted to shrink. I wanted to run away. I was telling myself, you don't have to go through with this. It's okay. And all that was was fear of rejection, was fear of standing out and being in that raw vulnerability. And as the audition wore on and it finally came my time to stand up, I felt as if I could faint. I felt all the blood rush to my head. I was pouring sweat out of every gland of my body. But when I stood up to teach my segment, I literally just said, this is going to be part of it. And I stood up and I taught and I taught perhaps better than I ever have. Because in that moment, I got out of my own way and I allowed my experience, my knowledge, my ability to be the conduit to step in and show up. And because of that, I got the job. Because of that, I followed through and I did it. Whereas if I let my storylines hold me back, I would have run out of that room. So part of overcoming imposter syndrome is to call those storylines out and do what you set out to do, regardless of how uncomfortable you may feel when that moment arises for you to finally do it. And of course, even if I wouldn't have gotten the job, I would have felt or I you know, did feel before I knew I got the job, a sense of satisfaction A sense of fulfilling my purpose because I stood up and faced my fear and I did something that I had wanted to do for a long time. So how do we get out of comfort orientation is we willingly step a little bit outside of our comfort zone and realize that cold air, it's not as cold as we thought. And realize that when we don't succeed, the world didn't end. We can keep going. We have other chances most of the time right? 99% of the time, if you fail, you gain insight, you refine, and then you continue forward with your mission, with what you set out to do. Now, what if that isn't the case? 
And this is the second form of laziness. It's called loss of heart. And loss of heart is where we allow our perceived failures, which are usually blessings in disguise, when we allow our disappointment to step in and sabotage what we're doing. Loss of heart is when we fall into apathy, when our storylines of not being worthy, of not being ready, of having everyone else be better than you, and who are you to do this? When we let all these things take over and sabotage our mission, and your mission can be whatever you feel called to do in that moment. That's your mission, right? Loss of heart is where we say, what's the point? I'm not good enough. Someone else is better than me. I shouldn't even try. And when loss of heart, arri- lo- when loss of heart arises, the main thing to do is remind yourself that you are entitled to your work. It is your birthright. And to... St- And to work in that vein of motivation to be the conduit. Don't worry about how it always comes out. It might come out great. It might come out a disaster. But the point is that you are living your life. You are living a life that you approve of rather than living a life in fear of what others may think of you. Where that Zen proverb comes in. Fall down nine times, get up ten fall down 10 times, get up 11. Pick yourself back up as many times as you need. And it's incredibly valid, that feeling of loss of heart. And it's important to nurture yourself when you feel too raw and too vulnerable to just get right back up. Let yourself rest as long as you need. Let yourself gestate, if you will, until what you want to share with the world is ready to be born. And when that moment comes again, that it's ready to be born, when that inspiration arises, you will know it because you will feel compelled to action. And this is where it's really crucial that you don't stop yourself mid-course for fear, again, of the same results. That's where this, these slokas in the Gita are so helpful Again, it says, casting off attachment and remaining even-minded in both success and failure. This evenness is called yoga. Evenness of understanding that whatever you do is making a ripple out in the world. And even if you don't get the results you want right away, you've got to trust the process. It's like digging a hole. Don't dig 10 shallow holes. Keep digging one deep hole so you can plant roots. And from there, grow. So if you're not met with approval or the results you wanted right away, remain even-minded. Continue on your path. Recalibrate and rest as often as you need. But whatever you do, keep, keep the vision with you. Even if it's in hibernation, let that vision remain a seed in your heart. Because... When the inspiration comes, it's like watering the seed. Eventually that seed will sprout again. And so it's important to remember with loss of heart, trust the process, rest as needed, nurture yourself, 
reassure, and continue forward when the urge arises. Rather than stopping yourself for fear of the unknown, let whatever you want to share out into the world. Because if it resonates with you, it is bound to resonate with countless others. And even if it only resonates with one other person, that makes it totally worth it. The last form of laziness is called couldn't care less. And couldn't care less is where we've given up. And couldn't care less is a really relevant um, idea. And this is why. Maybe we stop caring about something because it's no longer aligned with our vision. Maybe we've grown away from what we used to really strive towards and want to create in our lives. And if something really feels like you don't care about it anymore, it's important to pay attention. It's important to ask yourself, why do I not care anymore? Do I not care because I've been disappointed so many times that it feels like I need to change course? Or do I not care because in these experiences, I've learned that this isn't exactly what I wanted. This isn't exactly how I want to express myself. And so the first thing is to have a sense of acceptance over what has come to be in the past. It's to have a sense of forgiveness, which is basically accepting things, how they happen. To forgive yourself for not always being the way you are now. Because the truth is, every other experience you've had in this life has led you to where you are now. So all those experiences that might that may be amazing or may be extremely painful, they have culminated in you in this moment. They have created this result in you. So rather than regret and give up, think, how can I embrace my past as part of my story and use that to continue forward, to use that as fuel for my motivation? So couldn't care less also may show up when we no longer feel like moving in a direction we were moving. And rather than continuing to forge ahead and force ourselves, which is not authentic either, sometimes it's a great idea to simply let something go, aka to simply give up sometimes. Sometimes things are just not working out because they are being forced or because that is not in the cards for us in this lifetime. And although it's important to not give up on what you believe in and what you want to share in the form of work in this world, it's equally important to not push something that is no longer inspired or alive and well within you. So when couldn't care less arises, sometimes receiving feedback from others can be helpful. Talk to your friends, talk to a counselor. See how you feel really about the direction that your path is going. And if you feel deep down that, well, I actually really want it. I'm just not caring because I'm guarding myself because I don't, I want to set myself up to expect rejection. Then that information is pointing towards the keep going route. That information is saying, you know what? Reevaluate, redesign what you're offering and share it again. But if you find out or figure out 
that your couldn't care less attitude is because this is no longer your truth, it's no longer aligned with you, then it is absolutely acceptable that you let it go and never pick it back up again if you don't want to. Because when you let something go that's not aligned with you, you are making room for something that is more aligned, for something that is even more divinely orchestrated than you could ever create on your own. So overcoming couldn't care less, it simply takes observation and evaluation. Whatever information you get, follow the course of action that comes through with that information. It's either one of two things. Keep going, keep forging ahead, remind yourself all the reasons why you care, or surrender, let go, and see what arises in its place. When we consider overcoming imposter syndrome, I feel the main takeaways are to trust yourself and your abilities, To understand it might not always be comfortable putting yourself out there, but it certainly will be worth it. When you are met with disappointment, let yourself recalibrate and receive the teachings of that. Rest until you are ready to continue forward. And when something feels super aligned with you, know that that is your birthright to continue forward on that path, regardless of whether you ever receive the reward or the action or the fruit of action that you have desired. Let the work alone, the expression alone be enough. If you get the result you want, hey, that's a bonus. That's wonderful. Of course, we'll celebrate that. But if you don't get the result you wanted, at least you know that you are living your life in accordance to your authenticity rather than living your life like a slave to other people's opinions. Because when it boils down to it, it's not about whether others approve of your life. It's about whether you approve of your life in your path or not. And if the answer is or not, that you don't approve right now, it's time to do something about it. It's time to take a look at what you've been holding back on, what you've been letting stop you from expressing yourself in the way that you feel your heart called to do. And whatever that is, see beyond it. Remain even-minded in success or failure and offer up the work because that is what must be done. I'll read the Gita once more. To work alone, you are entitled, never to its fruit. Neither let your motive be the fruit of action, nor let your attachment be to non-action. Being established in yoga, perform your actions, casting off attachment and remaining even-minded both in success and in failure. This evenness is called yoga. This evenness is called being in the unified field of experience no matter how much resistance you may be met with. If you feel compelled to do something, do it no matter what. Do it because it has to be done. Don't let perfectionism get in your way because that's just another way lack of self-worth shows up. 
Rather remember your urge, your gifts, and what you have to share with the world is invaluable. And it is only you who can share what you feel called to share deep in your heart. Do what you feel called to do because this is your life, your experience, and your inspiration. Keep your vision strong and your resilience towards stepping towards it intact. And remember, in the end, you don't get to determine the result, but you sure can show up for your work. And you can sure offer with your whole heart what resonates with you out into the world, not just for you, but for the benefit of all who are ready and willing to receive your gifts. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Namaste.